Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us as we were just talking about. It is Giving Tuesday, and very important uh, that you step up and support WDET, support WDET and all the great programming that we have on the air here. Detroit Today is, of course, the show that I host, but there are lots of other things about WDET that you love, that you cherish, that you value, and today is the day that you need to put a value on that. Uh, it will be matched, uh, whatever you give today, and uh, and it will be valued. It will keep the things that you really appreciate about this station going and keep us on the air. Up first today, as we enter a new season of 2020, we are also coming into a new chapter of the pandemic. And with several COVID-19 vaccines now making their way toward marketing approval, a number of difficult questions are looming. Who should have access to the first available doses? What could potential distribution models look like? And how will companies and regulators assess safety and efficacy over the long term? Here to talk with us about all things related to the COVID-19 vaccines is Julie Rovner. She is Kaiser Health News Chief Washington Correspondent, and she has covered healthcare for more than 30 years. Julie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Independent Vaccine Advisory Committee is scheduled to vote uh, Tuesday to determine who is going to get a coronavirus vaccine first. What can you tell us about what's expected to come out of that? Well, I think there's pretty much universal consensus that healthcare workers should be first in line to, to get the vaccine. And by healthcare workers, we mean not just doctors and nurses, obviously, but also respiratory therapists and uh people who deliver food and clean rooms and admitting clerks and uh, EMTs and basically everybody who's involved in the healthcare system who are all now being exposed to people with COVID on a regular basis. Um, after that, uh, there's you know all kinds of decisions and recommendations to be made, um, whether it's people in nursing homes, uh, there's some concern about uh, a brand new vaccine being given to elderly people who are more likely to have a bad reaction, if there are side effects, um, you know, at, at what point do you go to teachers so you can get schools back open? Where do children fall in this? Where do people with pre-existing health conditions that make them more susceptible to serious illness go in this? You know, I think so it's sort of after the kind of frontline workers that we, uh, that, that there will be kind of a scientific tussle uh, about who gets gets it in what order. And and the timing of all of this is something that is still up in the air. I continue to hear and see reports that say one of the goals is to vaccinate 20 million people by the end of the year. But of course, there are only about 30 days left in 2020. And we are still having meetings about who's going to get it first. There's still some FDA hurdles, I believe, uh, before these vaccines can can be distributed and and administered. How realistic are those kinds of projections? Are those kind of numbers about what we'll see before January first? 
Well, I think it's likely that some people will get it before the end of the year. How many and when is still, as you say, up in the air. It's, uh, the FDA hasn't approved. I mean, there's now two vaccines, the, the Pfizer vaccine that, uh, was, uh, that, the, that Pfizer applied for on November 20th, the Moderna vaccine, uh, and they uh, filed with the FDA uh, on Monday, yesterday. Um, neither of those have received, the first thing they'll receive is an emergency use authorization or an EUA. That's not an approval that's sort of a pre-approval approval so they can start manufacturing and distributing them but but it's important to remember that's not a full approval yet um we uh neither of those has been granted in fact um the last thing i saw before i sat down this morning was that the head of the fda has been summoned to the white house apparently to explain why it has not been approved yet but you know these there there's there's this considerable tension and that's always existed at the FDA between speed and safety. And obviously speed is really important with a contagious disease that's killing people. Um, but the FDA um, so far has not abandoned safety in all this. And their scientists at the FDA actually need time to go through the data that the companies have sent them. Um, they're doing it as fast as they can, but it, you know, and it's expected that we'll see these EUAs in the coming uh, 10 days to two weeks. And what's happening, and I will get into this with the logistics, is that in anticipation of the FDA giving the go-ahead, uh, doses of the vaccine will be, you know, ready and waiting and staged um, to start distribution. But we don't know, again, exactly when that will be. I think I've heard that there will be 20 million doses available uh, before the end of the year. So presumably 20 million people could get their first shot because remember it's a two-shot vaccine mm. um but the second shot comes three weeks later so that would probably take us into 2021 and i think for a lot of people there is this sigh of relief that they're waiting to to exhale once the vaccine is approved and is being distributed and people are 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 taking it um but but there are also i think some some uh, some restraints we need to put on those expectations in other words this is a major step forward this is a huge milestone in the effort to combat covid-19 but it's not going to solve all of the problems that we have right now in the short term this is a long term solution and we still probably have a pretty hard winter ahead of us. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, and, and you know, it's possible that the spring may not be as hard, but this is not going to be gone by the spring. First of all, it's just, it's an enormous undertaking for, you know, 330 million Americans to get two shots of a vaccine. Um, the, the logistics of that are kind of mind-numbing. And it's going to take the, the better part. You know, I, I'm hearing some experts say, you know, everybody who wants a vaccine should be able to get it by June. That's pretty ambitious. Um, so it, it could take well into 2021 before all of those who want the vaccine get it. Then there's a problem of vaccine hesitancy of people who don't want the vaccine. 
vaccine mm-hmm. or are worried about it. Um, you know, we've seen, and of course, it didn't help that the vaccine got so politicized this fall um, when President Trump was trying to rush it. And again, as I say, this this you know continuing tension between speed and safety. The president was on the side of speed um, and and not on the side of safety. So you have people who are dubious about vaccines in general, and then people who are dubious about this vaccine because they worry if it was pushed through based on politics and not on safety. So there's a concern, you know, and there's going to be a huge effort to convince the American public that these vaccines are safe. Plus, there's a lot we don't know about these vaccines yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still very early. One of the things we don't know is that they seem to do a really good job at preventing people from getting sick. But what we don't know is if they prevent people from getting the virus and then spreading it to others. Um, that That is not clear yet from the data. So it you know, may be that people are going to get vaccinated, but we're still going to have to socially distance and wear masks for a good long while after that. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Julie Ravner. Uh, she is Kaiser Health News Chief Washington Correspondent. She's covered healthcare for more than 30 years. And we're talking about the vaccines for COVID-19, how close They are to being approved and distributed and administered to all Americans who want them. Uh, We're talking about what will happen once the vaccine is being administered and how life might change, how soon life might change for those of us who are anxious to see the world kind of come back together after being turned upside down and shaken as uh, dramatically as it was here in 2020. If you want to join the conversation, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Call and tell us what your questions are about the vaccine for COVID-19 and call and tell us if you would take the vaccine. I am running across all kinds of people who surprise me when they say, you know, I'm not sure about the vaccine or I am not going to take it. I'm going to wait and see how it uh, how it plays out and take it at a later date. Um, are you somebody who falls in that category? Uh, and what are your concerns like? Uh, how are you feeling now that we got through the Thanksgiving holiday? Uh, but are you a little anxious about Christmas? Do you think we'll have Christmas in a little more normal fashion than we did uh, Thanksgiving? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, again, I am really eager to hear from folks who might not take the COVID 19 vaccine because they're worried about it. Uh, <clears throat> Colin, tell us what those worries uh, look like and what it would take for you to be able to to take the vaccine. Um, Julie, before we get to listeners, uh, I, I want to talk a little more about this effort to uh, to convince people. Uh, we recently found out that the Moderna vaccine is even more effective uh, than previously reported with a 94% efficacy rate in terms of uh, vaccine ec- efficacy. That's really good. But again, you've got to convince people that uh, this is safe and not just effective. Talk about the ways in which the government is prepared to try to sell this idea uh, to the public. 
Well, it's going to be a big job. Um, you know, it's not unprecedented. Uh, Elvis Presley famously took a polio vaccine when it first came out hmm. uh, to try to convince the American public that, you know, that it was safe. Uh, obviously, that's been, you know, polio is very nearly eradicated around the world at this point. It takes a while, but, you know, sometimes it, that these campaigns work. Um, and as I say, I think this particular vaccine got tangled up in politics during the presidential campaign. Um, so they're going to have to overcome some of the, the doubts that were, you know, sown by including, you know, Democrats who normally would be on the side of, you know, everybody should get vaccinated. But we have had, you know, in the past 20 years or so, this continuing concern about childhood vaccines and their possible side effects, which are very rare. And the Lancet paper that kicked all of this off was retracted um, and the doctor was sanctioned and who, who wrote that paper. And yet still you have this growing concern about vaccines in general. So they're going to have to overcome that. Uh, and I think it's just going to be, you know, a huge public health communications effort. But that's one of the things that public health does. They communicate to the public. Mm. So I, I have, you know, I have fewer doubts about the, you know, public education campaign here than I do about just the difficulty of the logistics um, of, you know, keeping track of two different shots to make sure people get the same one in the right time period. And, you know, particularly the Pfizer vaccine that has to be kept at such a low temperature. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's concerns about spoilage. There's lots of places, particularly far flung places where there is not really the ability to keep these vaccines at this very low temperature, uh, except briefly. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be a huge effort. I think now that the transition has begun and the, you know, the Biden transition team is talking to the Trump team. Um, it's not quite as dire as it felt a week or two ago when the the two when you know the incoming administration, the outgoing administration, literally couldn't even talk on the phone. Mm. So, so the distribution logistics uh, again, like, as you say, there is a real there is a real challenge there. They are saying that the military will be involved with uh, that distribution. Uh, how how does that how does it even work? How does it even sort of unfold that you would take uh, these massive number of doses and administer them to a massive number of Americans? Well, that's the, the, the distribution is going to be, I think, harder than the delivery. And I suspect that's where the military is going to mm -hmm. uh, be involved. Although, it's, you know, I've been listening to some of these public health experts. They really it's, it's unlikely the military will actually be, you know, putting shots in people's arms um, because there's already some concern. And I think there's a desire for people to be able to sort of go get their COVID-19 shots the same way they get their flu shots, you know, to the to the local pharmacy or to the local clinic or to your own doctor. Um, but again, that's going to be that there's going to you're going to have to get these doses in some cases doses that don't store for that long to the right place and into the right people um the military obviously is involved i i think in the in the moving around and the the storing i think so the department of homeland security right now the national guard uh, it's doing a lot of work on testing. So, I mean, we've already had some involvement. Um, I think it's just it's going to be a big sort of government wide effort. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Hi. Yeah, yeah go ahead. I'm here. I'm here. Go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah good morning. Uh, thanks for having me on uh -huh. again. Uh, I'm of the older and the older uh, demographic with underlying conditions. So I will eventually, when my turn comes, get the vaccine. 
the, the struggle is going to be to convince people, as you were already talking about, and it really can't come from the top down. It's really got to come from a community level, whether it's churches, whether it's senior centers, whether it's schools, it, 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 or, or your, your primary care physician. It's really got to come from the bottom up because these talking heads on TV telling people to get the vaccine is not going to work. Hmm. That's a really interesting point, Mark, and, and I think you're right that, that people trust people they know. They trust people in their own communities, and I would expect that we'll start to see some sort of uh, you know community organizing efforts around uh, p- pushing the idea of the of the vaccine uh, unfold. We haven't really seen that yet because I think it's a little premature, and we're still waiting uh, for all of this to happen. But but I think that's a it's a really great point. Um, we're going to need voices in many different stations, uh, all sounding the same note uh, around around this vaccine. Mark, I appreciate uh, the call. Uh, let's go to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, what's on your mind? Hi. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my question is, what is the treatment that is typically administered when someone lands in the hospital with COVID? I don't ever hear what they are um, actually treating people with. And we know that um, Mr. Trump received something over his weekend in the hospital. Mm. And personally, I would like to see uh, Bill Gates and his family get vaccinated first. Why is that? Because that is his thing, vaccinating the world. Right. And if they're going to be, there's going to be a downside of this warp speed at vaccination, mm-hmm. I'd like to see um, how it pans out in his family. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting milestone to set up there, uh, Ruby, if that would convince you. That, I, I think that's something I hadn't, I hadn't thought of, whether the Gates family would, uh, would take the vaccines. I imagine that they will. Uh, but but your first question about treatments, uh, Julie Rovner, we we don't hear as much about the treatments for COVID-19. And they are just as important, really, as vaccines, because you still have so many people contracting the d- disease. It is still spreading really fast and really virulently uh, throughout the throughout the country. Talk just a little about what we've learned since the spring about how to treat people who have COVID and, and the worst symptoms of, of COVID and why uh, that's making a difference in terms of, of, of the death rate. So the president got uh, something called a monoclonal antibody, um, as did uh, HUD Secretary Ben Carson, as did, I believe, uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, all of whom were, were hospitalized with COVID. Um, it has ju- it was just approved in the last week or two by the FDA. I think it was being given under, an, uh, as we talked about, this emergency use authorization. But there's not a lot of it. It's hard to get. Uh, it does seem to work very well. Uh, remdesivir, another drug, um, again, also being used but also in short supply. Um, so there are some good promising treatments that are out there, but not everybody can get them, you know, particularly the, the monoclonal antibodies um, uh, are, are are quite difficult to come by for, for most people. Um, part of, you know, it, before this last surge, 
people were doing better because it, it's not just the drugs, but just the management of the patients. Um, sort of doctors and nurses were doing a better job at just sort of figuring out what people needed in terms of oxygen and when and how to keep them positioned. Um, and that was was helping some people. Uh, right now, the problem is that hospitals across the country are simply full to bursting. Um, as I you know say, it doesn't do any good to have a hospital bed if there's no one to staff it. Um, people, you know, healthcare professionals are really just pushed to the brink, and that that makes for difficulty, particularly when, as I say, these you know best drugs that are out there are not available to everyone. So we're still in a not great place. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, Ruby, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So uh, I get my flu vaccine every year. I got my pneumonia shots a couple of years ago, and I started talking to my doctor about the um, shingles vaccine. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not an anti-vaxxer in any way, but I got to say I'm a little lost. I want to kind of sit back about six months and see what happens to be Hmm. honest and i have other things i i've been working on the uh the warner movie for the last two months and we're tested weekly Mm -hmm. thursday i had a negative result before thanksgiving and then uh monday i got a positive result so i have no symptoms but um you know I'm, i'm kind of in this little loop yeah. Where I don't even know whether I'll need to be vaccinated, to right. be honest. John, uh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And uh, I hope that uh, that you stay asymptomatic and that uh, you, you pull through all of that. Um, Julie Rovner, what about people who have the disease or who have had the disease? Where do they fall in the in the vaccination picture? Um, that's a good question. We don't know how long that immunity lasts. Um, I think for a while it, there were some some sort of anecdotal studies that you know of people getting it a second time, um, and so there was concern that the immunity was very short lived. Now the consensus seems to be that that those are sort of aberrations. That the immunity is probably you know longer than just a couple of months, but it's one of the things that we just don't know yet. Um, and I imagine that's one of the things that the CDC vaccine committee is going to talk about. Okay, Julie Rovner, Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for being part of this conversation. Always a pleasure to be here. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the new season of our podcast, Created Equal, that features conversations with some of the most high-profile authors on race and inequality in the world. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.